0: Greetings, fellow ones in the fourth dimension, and welcome to The Greatest Show of the Galaxy. My name is Emma Foster and the Lumvar, and joining me as always is Mike the Heretic. How are you, sir?
1: Four o'clock, girls. Well?
0: <laughs> and today we're going to start, we're starting on an epic quest, mm. which uh, your mission, should we choose to accept it, is that we are going to start on uh, reviewing the whole of the Key to Time saga.
1: Yeah. The quest is the quest. No, that's right. The quest that's is the quest,
0: but not in this <laughs> in this series. But. Um, it's, it's something that we've been keen to do for a little while now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so the idea is that we're going to go through um, every show, every every uh, serial, in our usual way of reviewing it, but we're reviewing them in, in order, and the plan is, at the moment, it will be uh, every other show. So mm. it will be a Key to Time episode and then something different, Key to Time, Key to Time, until we've uh, done all six serials, the whole of season 16, and... Um, uh, and then there will be a big review episode at the end where we sort of discuss whether we think this was a, a good idea or a bad idea, ultimately. So hmm. um, the best place to start is at the beginning, I usually find.
1: A very good place to start, yeah.
0: And uh, we're going to have a chat
1: about the Reboss operation. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I've, I've forgotten how good this one was.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite weird in that um, it uh, it's not well remembered, I don't think, Reboss on its own.
1: No. I think it's so sort of, it it sort of get, gets overshadowed by *Pirate Planet* and *Stones of Blood*. Oh, it absolutely I think, does in in terms of like the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, I mean, this is this is Robert Holmes, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, this is the first time we've tackled Robert Holmes' story on this podcast, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think it might be actually, and considering what a uh, what a gargantuan name the man is. um yeah. I'm surprised we haven't got around
1: to him actually. That's weird. Hmm. hmm.
0: So, Mike, as, as we usually do with these, show you want to read the back of the box to us?
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. The Doctor is summoned by the mysterious and powerful White Guardian, and sent on a quest to find the six six sevens of the key to time, which, once assembled, will restore balance to the universe. Joining the Doctor in K9 is the smart and sassy Romana, a Time Lord fresh from the Academy. Landing on the wintry planet of Rebus to locate the first segment, the TARDIS crew quickly find themselves embroiled in a little local trouble with a pair of Cardman and an unstable warlord.
0: And there you have it. Um, so, look, you're quite right in saying I think that this does one does get quite overshadowed. I think because it's not... It hasn't got much action in it, like with a capital A.
1: No, no. It hasn't, really.
0: But it is like a um, like a romp, almost.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the rebus operation, like, in and of itself, is a sort of, like, a, a northern wing to the Italian job. Mm-hmm. It's mostly about the the con that uh, Garen and stuff. Uh, pulling on the the villain of the piece, the graph in Decay, and you know, as as often happens in these sort of stories, the Doctor, Romana, and Kane are just sort of swept up along in it while they're trying to do their own thing. Absolutely,
0: um, I think it, um, it's quite interesting that it's kind of an unusual Doctor Who story in that this whole conceit of this uh, you know hustle s scam that's going on is <laughs> kind of allowed to breathe and do its own thing. Yeah, and rather than um, I mean, obviously, there is a. Hard, <laughs> we'll talk about the monster inverted commas in this <laughs> as we go on, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but it's not the be-all and end-all. This story, I think, usually what you'd have is this would be kind of the setup, and the Doctor and and his companions would just kind of turn up in the middle, and then that other story would kind of drop to the side as the monster becomes the main issue.
1: But it mm-hmm. really doesn't in this story. No, no, no. It's 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 entirely incidental to the story. You know, yeah, uh, um, And probably for the best, because it's yes. not... I mean, the Shriven's bless its heart, it, it's not the Mirka in terms of bad, but no. it's still two blokes in a suit.
0: Yeah, but it literally does nothing in this story. No. <laughs> well, I, I mean,
1: mean they, they did, like, plan on trying to have, like, a sequence where it had attacked the Graphin Decay and his soldiers, but they couldn't, like, I think they couldn't get, like, the... It was supposed to be, like, a like a larger version of the Shriven's and they're supposed to mm. be like CSO, I think, but uh, they never really got around to doing it.
0: And, um, you know, you would think that it would at least lightly savage somebody. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't
1: even, like, <laughs> try and maul the Doctor of Romana at the end of part one, you know what I mean?
0: No, it just sort of goes, right. at and you know, kind of rubbers at them and uh, makes Sir Romana scared. Well, and that's about it.
1: Well, to be fair, it had been drugged, so maybe it was still a bit, a bit, out, of, yeah, about, a bit out of sorts.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, truly, I think that it's only in there because, you know, like, oh, it's Doctor Who, we better have a monster yeah, it's, in it. It's required. it would be entirely entirely fine to not have
1: the Shivers out at all, whatever. Yeah, yeah it's it's like the Magma Beast from Caves of Androzani. It does not yeah, need to be is. there. And no. it's not very good. But, you know, Doctor Who, got to have a monster, really, so...
0: Yeah, which is it's kind of a shame. You sort of feel like, you know, you wish that they'd been Brave enough to not bother with it because mm. it just makes the whole thing feel a bit shonky,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so I wanted to throw something out there just if we're gonna obviously start at the beginning. Um, mm. the whole idea with the White Guardian, yeah. Unfortunately, watching it now is almost impossible to watch without thinking of the architect from The Matrix, <laughs>
1: <laughs> very <laughs> For me true, anyway. very true. Ergo, therefore. <laughs> Yeah, and of course
0: you know his his role is kind of the same as the architect.
1: Yeah, pretty much. He's like the the bloke who kicks off the story, but yes. also it's it's also like before, so like Matrix Reloaded, you probably couldn't help but think of him as like Colonel Sanders. Do you know what I mean? Yes, so it like... also
0: looks like that he wants to <laughs> fry me some chicken. <laughs> um, Bless, Cheryl especially because he's sort of in that colonial get up.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I have to say, it's like Cheryl Luckham does have a good turn in sort of like. Very, very quiet, understated menace. You know yeah. when he says to the doctor, you know, um, if the doctor asks him, you know, what happens if I refuse to volunteer to search for the kid's time he says, uh, oh, nothing. Anyway, well, nothing will happen. To me. Well, nothing, ever.
0: <laughs> oh, which is like fate worse than death for our poor old doctor. And <laughs> uh, it did, it did interest me how Tom Baker chose to play off of the uh, the White Guardian. Mm. In that he's obviously because you know, obviously you sort of expect him to be sort of Sarky kind of it, faux respect for him, yeah. Because, because he constantly calls him Sir and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you'd expect it to be much more Sarky than that, but it's really not.
1: Yeah, I mean, he it, it, it does uh, like get very testy with the Guardian because obviously you know it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a you know indisposition for him. You know, he's been forcibly dragged into this. So he he does have like a very well I wouldn't even say sort of passive aggressive uh, tone with them. He does get quite uh, loud with them, but he quickly sort of backs off because the guardian was sort of like conceived as sort of not quite like a godlike figure because obviously you know people would complain, but he's meant to be like a higher authority even above the time lords.
0: Yeah it's I mean, obviously i think we'll sort of we'll get to how successful or not that concept is as we mm. go through the whole Key to time saga um but yeah it just it struck I me mean, cuz sort of watching it again it just you, you would think that um tom's doctor especially at this point in tom's um evolution as the doctor mm. um i mean You know, I think there's some points that we'll get to because he's getting, he's now getting a bit of an ego about himself, his old time, bless his heart. Yeah. And um, (laughs) you would think that um, having to concede his authority as the doctor to somebody else, Mm -hmm. he would not be happy about. Yeah. Um, But yeah, because you would think that he would go maximum sarcasm, but no, he sort of uses the same tone that I probably use, you know, like. With a teacher or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Well, cause, I mean, I don't know if it's the case in other countries, but in most cases, unless you go to a very hippy dippy school, if you've got a male teacher, you address them as sir. Yeah, and it's kind of that is the kind of the same tone that he used with, with the White Guardian. I thought.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, just talking about Tom again is um, uh, if you look at if you sort of look into a little bit of the background behind this episode when they introduced Mary Tam as uh, Ramana. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there was this idea that she would always be wearing white, like she does in this episode. Yeah, but Tom didn't like that.
1: No, it would uh, take, it would take the viewers' attention away from him. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So yeah, Tom is is starting to get to the point, I mean, not as bad as he does get, mm-hmm. um, but he's sort of um, changing the scripts, changing lines, doing unscripted business with the monsters and all this sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, stuff that he thinks is funny, but uh, uh, actually, it's starting to creep in more and more. Yeah. So the high idea that something's taking the viewer's the eyes off him when he's mm-hmm. on the screen He's, he's kind of throwing a strop about. I mean, there is a whole bit in the TARDIS where he's sort of sitting in the corner uh, sort of <laughs> with his face in his scarf. Yeah, exactly. Pissy fit, and you do sort of feel like that's not acting.
1: No. <laughs> listen.
0: You may also notice, um, the eagle-eyed viewers uh, may notice that Tom Baker's got a bit of a boo-boo on his face. Yes,
1: yeah. Um, this happened, I think it was like the night before the last day of the recording. Yeah, something um, like that. Paul Seed, who plays the graph into Kate, had a dog. And it would had a, like a trick where if you like put a sausage in your mouth or something and you just like, bent over it, he would jump up and take the sausage out of your mouth. And he showed this trick to Tom Baker. And then when his back was turned, Tom Baker decided to try the trick for himself and the dog ended up going for his <laughs> lip. So there are scenes where you can clearly tell like what part of this the filmings was taking place on because there's this noticeable scar and they do they do try and cover it up with makeup but it's still glaringly obvious and i I think they even sort of like there's a bit in pirate planet at the very beginning where you see the doctor smash his face against the tardis console and that sort of like explains quote unquote the scar so they don't have to like try and like play hide around with it you know what i mean
0: yeah well it didn't help though apparently i read that um because obviously they were trying to cover it up with makeup and stuff when mm. it was still pretty new wound, it went manky, it went septic, so it just got worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, so gross. Anyway, so um moving on from the sort of opening stages of this, I w- wonder what your thoughts are of uh, dear old Barry Tam as Romana, just for this one.
1: I really liked her. I, I mean, I, I yeah. like her in general. And I kind of like she's... She's a Greenhorn. I mean, yes, she's a graduate from the United Academy, the Triple First. And she does sort of, like, have these, like, long sort of psychobabble, you know, statements about, like, characters, especially the Doctor. Um, but I also like how, sort of, like, she's mm. very much a Greenhorn, um, like, in terms of, like, wandering the fourth dimension. Because, you know, she's very easily fooled by Unstuff's, you know, uh, scrinch stone Gym eye. Flame. Um, and, and all that. So I, d- I do... Um, I do like in this one, and she does uh, get some nice like shots in at the doctor. You know, especially when she's sort like of danced with fake prose at the end. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, the only thing is, I think that if you're sort of in with in on the joke with Romana, so to speak, the do saying about how green she is, and mm-hmm. sort of, I mean, how her character evolves through this whole series. Um, It's it, it, I mean, you have to kind of naturally have this episode where she's walking through the scenes like she's got a bad, she can smell something nasty. Mm -hmm. And I think in some cases that might, that can rub people up the wrong way a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with it. I mean, because obviously I sort of, with the advantage of sort of knowing a bit where this is going, um, Mm -hmm. you can sort of, you can sort of excuse it. You know where where it's headed so to speak but yeah but i think mary tam is deeply underrated
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i think i'm going to keep saying that throughout this whole series of us talking about the key to time yeah um i think she and i think that her relationship with tom is actually really interesting mm. like i think that i mean it's quite a different chemistry from anyone any of the other companions he has on screen
1: yeah i'd say yeah definitely um... Even when, you know,
0: much later on, um, she regenerates into Lala Ward. Yeah. There is, it it does sort of revolve into uh, sort of a a mutually respectful cooperation.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: As opposed to, like, um, a senior and a junior. Yeah. Which is what it starts off as here. Mm -hmm. Because it's very... It's very sort of, say, about, you know, um, the Doctor showing Romana the
1: ropes a bit in this one. Yeah, he lays down the ground rules. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, well, you know, questionable ground rules. Oh, yeah. But um, what I found interesting about this was, um, actually, it wasn't supposed to be Romana at all. They were trying mm. to get Liz Slayton back.
0: That is interesting, actually.
1: Yeah. But um, I think she had other commitments, so like that never got any further. So, hence Romana. Um well, I think that would have been interesting to see, like, how that would have played out. Mm. Mm. Because,
0: I mean, you know, you, you, Sarah Jane wouldn't have been as naive as Romana is. Mm. So it would have been interesting to see how... I mean, because, you, you you, know, Sarah Jane, I don't think, would have been taken in by, you know, this pair of flim-flam men for, you know, two seconds. So no. <laughs> it, there wouldn't have been anyone to... Um, for the Doctor to kind of explain it to for the kids and the harder thinking out there.
1: Mm. Um. So, shall we speak about the uh, Flim Flammers in question?
0: Yes, let's, because I think their story's really fun.
1: Yeah, Ian Cutherson and Nigel Plasker, there's Garen and Unstoff, respectively. I mean, I, I I do like these two. I mean, what you? Yeah, we've never like really brought up uh, Robert Holman's stories before, but he's a man who writes characters who are like double acts. Mm. So, obviously, you've got the Doctor and Romana, you've got Garen and Unstuff, and you've got the Graf and Decay and Sherlock. I mean, the Shreve Captain doesn't really get much of a a double act going. And I think even Unstuff has maybe a little bit of a thing with uh, Binro in uh, part three and four. Yeah. But, um, so, <laughs> you've got uh, Garen and Unstuff, and it's kind of like, it's a strange sort of parallel to the Doctor and Romana. Mm. Garen's the more experienced one and Unstuff's. I think Unstuff's got slight more, he's still sort of like new-ish, but he's he's still got some of the things because even when he's like tries to take some initiative, you know, the back again uh, back to the the scene where he's like he's all, he's on his set accent, he's talking about this Stone and he's trying to like <laughs> my poor old dad, <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because Ian Curtis and his garage, he's just he's got this look on his face like he's trying so hard, but there's just this glimmer of what are you doing? doing shut, up. Yeah, shut up! <laughs> you know, it's it's great. I mean, I love the two of them um yeah
0: they bounce they have a great again it's sort of talk about chemistry they they bounce each other really well
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's the whole thing of making him go down the hole to deal with the old um <laughs> the older floppy monster yeah and all this sort of thing it's like you've got to go i'm old and all this sort of thing you know it works great
1: yeah
0: i've, I've got to say i think one of my favorite scenes in that is that whole scene in the in the treasury
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, it's it's worked really well and it could be too big yeah but um, it, it it kind of works just right, you know, because obviously we are, we in the audience are, are in on the scam. Mm-hmm. So it's funny for us to watch it play out in front of the, up to that point, fairly clueless
1: uh, Grand Fan Decay. Yeah, she certainly got the suspicion that um, he's, that Unstaff's having them on, but, you know he's subservient he's to the graph K who shuts him down and says, you know, no he chess with me, and even though it's totally happening before. It's so it? obviously. <laughs> yeah, then. yeah and, it, and, and the Graph does, like, pretty much buy it, you know? You honestly could have, if it hadn't been for, like, the, the bug that he found, you could have easily seen him, like, trying to find Unstoff as the, uh, the Shreve and trying to, like, get the map off him.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um... Um, so, talking about Double X, um, between Sherlock and the uh, Graf van der Kay, mm-hmm. um, would you characterise a relationship, I would say it's gay verging into super gay. Your thoughts?
1: Um, yeah, pretty pretty <laughs> close. Yeah. Um, bit of a sausage fest. Um,
0: <laughs> big I mean, furs, big lads.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially sort of like, um, well, jumping ahead to the end of part four when Sherlock gets offed by... Uh, by the falling rocks. And this, you know, he, he hugs him and he sort of, like, kisses his eyes and it's like, wow. But, mm-hmm. um... <laughs> but okay, I have to say... Okay. But I have to say, like, when when the graph like, goes off the deep end and he's, like, trying to blow up the catacombs and then he's, like, off and he just, like, shouts for Sherlock. And he's clearly lost his marbles. I kind of feel sorry for the poor bastard, even though he's a complete dick. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, like... This is this. This is the guy who's like been with him through all this shit. Even though, like, you know what the graph indicates, trying to do and reclaim throne because obviously, dude's a tyrant, you know. And you know he got effectively kicked out while he was off like fighting these wars that probably his own people didn't want any part of. No. Um, But the the fact that, like I say, Sherlock's been like his right hand man for so long, and yeah, he. He gets killed by some falling rocks. You know, it's it's sort of like you can understand, yeah. You can understand like why he's so like upset. You know, I yeah, mean, I've been through so much. Yeah, but I mean, it's like Paul Seed. Oh my God, the ham! He's um, like, oh,
0: would you like some cheese with your ham, sir? <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, even though, bit where, you know, the probably the most evil thing. One of the most evil things to do is like when they're trying to get the seeker to like join, take them. What the
0: fuck is seeker? <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll get to her in a second. Yeah. But um, when they're, they're trying to like press gang her into um, taking them into the catacombs to find her and, and stuff, um, when the grass like flat shoots one of the shrieves to like get the, the Shreve captain to like bring the seeker like quicker. You know, there's a bit where uh, he and like, sort of go, Oh, it's a little bit up to the left, you know. It's all fine shot all the same, though. Like, yeah, you know, thanks.
0: <laughs> Back into the left. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean I don't I think that obviously I been reading this reading this script, uh, their their part is, you know, basically panto villain. Mm-hmm. So he just went with it. Yeah. <laughs> I I love it though, it is it is brilliant. I mean the, the stuff when he's like looking straight at the camera and <laughs> saying you no know, one messes with the bad graph, found decay and lives and
1: that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, and I have to say, although like the, the, we, we sort of like give Tom Baker shit for like um, throwing his own stuff in, the bit where um, the graph in the case like strikes Garen and the doctor like uh, tries to intervene, and it's like the graph like slaps him across the face of the glove, and the, and the doctor grabs the glove and slaps him back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh dear! I mean, but it, it, it's kind of the only thing he could do. It, it, that is funny. I did like that bit. It mm. was good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the seeker. <laughs> For God's sake,
1: the seeker. <laughs> oh bless. She said it, it's it's kind of weird. She seems just the way she talks. It's so out of place compared to the rest of the cast. Just very sort of like RP. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, even though like Prentice Hancock's the three captain, is very rather sort of rp-ish he's still got Mm. a bit of like still it's like a commoner elevated to like a high position sort of feel to him Mm. but the seeker when she's like doing her uh, her incantations and all that it's still very like oh bones bones show me the way (laughs) Ah! yet the screams (laughs) how unnecessary (laughs) That's just like, did you catch a toe on something? What the hell?
0: It kind of reminds me a bit of, um, you know, our oh, bloody, um, what's it called? Robin Hood with uh, Kevin Costner
1: in it. Oh, um, Prince of Thieves.
0: Prince of the, yeah, and, you know, the Sheriff of Nottingham. and <laughs> I think it's Tracy Ullman plays a witch in that, isn't she? Is this? I think I is it Tracy Ullman?
1: I can't, hang on. I'm going to have to look Look it up. up. Yeah, hang on.
0: Just reminded me of that, really. It's like, will stop longing your part out, love, and just tell me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, de, 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 de. I can't see a listed anywhere. Oh, never mind. Damn it. Sorry.
0: Never mind. Well, wh- whoever plays that which... Ah. Um Anyway. Um, anyway. Anyway, yeah, so it, <laughs> it's just so. Sh- I mean, and as well, it's just they. She sort of went, I know, let's just make her look as stupid as possible. She's got that bloody hat with huge antlers on.
1: Yeah. And well, all that sort of thing. I think the thing <laughs> of it is, it is like... well, I was looking through the um, the info text on the DVD, and um, mm. although, like, Rebus Operation is very sort of, like, um, Russian-inspired in terms of the design, I think she's, yeah. more like a, a Celtic sort of She is, figure. actually, yeah, you're quite right. I think that's what she's meant to be more over, like, anything else. Mm. that's why we always actually seem so out of place
0: yeah I don't know I mean because um, part of me wants to <coughs> kind of know what happened on Reboss mm. because obviously they were at some point fairly advanced mm. but now they're at the point where Binro is considered a heretic for supposing that the flashing lights of the sky are suns with planets and all this sort of thing like Rebosses.
1: Mm-hmm. so
0: like what happened <laughs> you know was there some sort of apocalyptic event and all of their um, knowledge was lost and they sort of ended up back in the dark ages or something like that.
1: I don't think that was the case at all. I think um they, they are sort of like you know 15th 16th century in terms of like earth culture. Mm. And that's around right about the time when you had sort of like Copernicus and, Gallim- Galileo. and Galileo who very it's very much like the, the template for Binra the heretic because Galileo was also like tortured and like forced to like recant you know his his uh, beliefs, mm. you know. So I, I think I think has, has always been like, and I think I'm sure it's like uh, Garen brings it up several times when he's like doing his pitch to the graph Decay and in, in trying to get him to buy the planet. You know, they, they haven't even invented the telescope. Yeah. So
0: they're just a bit slow to develop. Yes, yeah. they're late bloomers. Then okay, fair yeah.
1: enough. Bless him.
0: <laughs> um, so can we talk a bit about being right with a heretic? Actually, I. Oh, that is honestly one of the
1: best scenes between him and stuff. Oh, it's marvelous! It's such a lovely scene, and it's it's one of those things like it kind of didn't need to be there, but it, just because it is there, it is like 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 this was this is the sort of like thing that probably wouldn't even like make it into like like a modern if this rival operation was being done today, that scene probably would have been on the cutting room floor. If well,
0: his whole character wouldn't be there at all. Yeah. Because sh- apart from show um, stuff where the catacombs are... Yeah. He doesn't actually serve the plot in any way. Not really, no. So it's really an intriguing choice to have him at all.
1: Mm-hmm. But...
0: And, you know, <clears throat> I, mean, I think part of it is obviously getting the story up to length a bit. mm mm-hmm. But, yeah, apart from that, really, he doesn't directly link into the plot apart from do one thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And then get or killed.
0: Hide on stuff, and then show him where the catacombs are.
1: And then get killed.
0: And then get killed. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no uh, really story-wise rhyme or reason to have this whole really lovely scene. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. But it's such a lovely scene.
0: Yeah, it is. I feel like they no, nobody could bear to cut it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but um, I think yeah. it, it's
0: marvellous. And actually, I think Binro is kind of a bit is kind of could become a bit of a cult hero <laughs> in uh, sort of Doctor Who nerd circles. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, he comes up a lot. And um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those characters that a very restricted screen time, only talks to one person really. But yeah, very good. And when you know when he does cop it, mm-hmm. you know, you feel the pain of his death.
1: Yeah, probably much more than anyone else in this show. Yeah, and it's like the the bit you know, when Unstoff's like says, you know, you're absolutely right, I I come from there and Bunro starts crying. Yeah. You because know, just because some one person one person finally, you know, believes him. him. Yeah. I mean it did, Unstoff didn't even have to say, you know, I'm from another world. I think all it would have taken was for him to say, Yeah, I like what you're saying here.
0: Yeah. I think I would oh, it's really from... lovely and you know it was one ep- when i turned this episode on to to rewatch it mm. i was my brain went oh been around the heretics in this yay <laughs> yeah so i think one of the standout parts of this show absolutely brilliant love mm. him mm.
1: and i have to say for this um being a studio bound story um during like the, the hyperinflation of the late 70s this looks pretty damn good it does. I think that the the
0: costumes help it a lot mm. and the the set dressing because I mean they're basically in like three different rooms in this yeah, show.
1: Pretty much. Um,
0: but they're all dressed and lit and so nicely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's something that we've that you know, we always bring up in that if you want a futuristic looking thing for the BBC, you know, you get some yet white formica in a corridor. Yeah. If you want something historical mm-hmm. you get something beautiful. And like I say, you know the obviously sort of the the East, the Russian the Mongolian kind of um feel of their costumes and stuff yeah it's it's way better than it has any business being. mm
1: mm-hmm. definitely
0: i mean their yeah. their 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 costumes are so like lavish and layered up and but the only thing i would say is uh old Graf's um soldiers yeah they just look a bit like the black knight from holy grail <laughs>
1: Yeah, their their staff weapons are also a bit like not great.
0: Yeah, a bit kind of ordinary plastic. looking, aren't they?
1: Plastic, really. Yeah, a
0: bit plastic. Yeah, you know, but you are waiting for one of them to go chicken. <laughs> you yellow bastard! You've got no arms or legs, you idiot. Really <laughs>
1: no, I haven't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, it kind of helps. It helps like I say, it helps something that I think that it could. It could have looked super cheap, mm. but how, just sort of adding that sort of level of detail, and I think all like all the crown jewels and stuff look really good.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it
0: kind of takes your eye away from it being, you know, a room, a corridor, a room, and then the catacombs.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: and, uh, I would say I watched this episode with my dad here, and um, as he said, he was actually surprised no one died from breathing in all the polystyrene from <laughs> <and> the snow. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's 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 like it, it's a very nice effect because obviously you know, Reboss at this point in time is going through its, uh, thirty-two year or something like icy season. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it looks pretty good for like what it is. Like hmm. I say, and you know, like when you see like the the flakes, quote unquote, catching in like Tom and Mary's hair, you know, it just gives it a bit more like legitimate feel. The only thing is, so there are some parts where it does, you can still like hear. You know when you like yeah. in a school play and use like the the rostrums and stuff, and it's got this sort of like hollow clunking sound. Like yeah, hollow... when
0: you're walking across the stage and it's hollow
1: underneath. Yeah, yeah you, you do still get that a bit a, a few times, and um, there's the usual sort of like, acting against things that are supposed to be heavy but clearly aren't. Yeah, you know... it's good old heavy acting. Where <laughs> would we be without you? Yeah, Mary Tam very like trying to like gently sort of trying to try to. Best bless her to try and strain against these Jabberlite rocks. But she, but you also know she, the manhole. Yeah. Right on the top. <laughs> but, but, like, with the, the rocks, you know, you know, clearly if she actually presses a little bit too, like, even just a little bit, the whole thing's just going to collapse. Collapse, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that reminds me of something we haven't talked about yet. What's, what's that? Good old K-9. Yay. Who, according to the info text in this, can only turn right? Yeah, a bit uh, like Derek Zoolander.
1: But it's, but it's one of those weird things. It's like you kind of don't notice it until it's pointed out to you.
0: Yeah. Until you, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, now I've said it, I can't
1: not notice yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But um, bless me. I mean, this is this is the uh, Mark II K9. Um, yeah. it was obviously the, the the previous version. Stay behind, Lila. At uh, the end of. Uh, the invasion of time and um, his, his model's actually been Im- improved a bit that the motor isn't nearly as noisy mm. and um, there's less path with him interfering with the television cameras <laughs> because they use like similar frequencies mm. um, but you know good old canine can't, can't help but love the little dude
0: yeah so what made me laugh as well is says in the info text that the dog whistle that the doctor uses summon him is a real dog whistle yeah so R.I.P. dog owners. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just just as a litmus test, obviously we kept an eye on Jasmine, in the podcast interrupting cat, and she didn't give a shit. So Well, yeah. Dog only, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> Although sidebar to that, she doesn't really seem to care about any of those things, because there was this thing on the BBC a little while ago about someone who invented cat music. Right. You know, like music for cats. Okay. And, again, they had, like, videos of people's cats going apeshit. shit. Jasmine didn't care. <laughs> so, you know, she's just... Maybe she's tone deaf or something. I don't know.
1: Maybe she just likes metal.
0: Yeah, she might just like metal. I don't know. <laughs> 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 well, she's all black, nearly. So well, uh, yeah. she's into black metal. Yeah, maybe. <laughs>
1: Entirely possible. Hey, she'd get a thesis going.
0: She'd come with her own corpse paint, so that's yeah. fine. <laughs> So this—I mean—the only thing about this episode, it's quite weird to talk about—is mm. that it's just like a straight drama story. Yeah, it's kind of almost nothing Doctor Who-y in commas about it.
1: Yeah, apart from the the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this could have easily been a another show. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we like it's, it's it's pretty straightforward in terms of its narrative, but then again, it's the the opening story of a new series and they're trying to bring in this you know overarching plot line so in a way I sort of like I can understand why they went with revob's operation first because it's yeah it's a, it's an easy in
0: yeah i mean it's something that we talked about with when we have reviewed the new series mm. that the first episode tends to be like you say that easy in
1: yeah so
0: this is kind of example of this 1.0 mm. if you think about it that way
1: exactly Exactly, because I mean, this like what we'll end up probably end up discussing, you know, when we come to the end of key time is, you know, this is Doctor Who's first real attempt at doing an an overarching like season mm. arc, and um, it's not something that they've ever really replicated again until Trial of Time Lord, nah. and then obviously you know this has been like the new series bread and butter. It's it's sort of uncharted territory because I mean, Graham Williams, this is his, this was his um, second. Series so of producer, I think. Yes. Yeah. So, and, if, and I think it was very much just like a, a sense from him that he wanted the Doctor. Because obviously, you know, back in like the William Hart novel, Patrick Troughton days, the Doctor had very little control over the TARDIS.
0: Mm.
1: As time went on, it showed like he's like a little bit more capable of doing it. So, that sort of like said to Graham Williams, well, you know, why. If, if he's apparently so bad at piloting, why is he like so good at it at the same time? So that's why we have the it's like it's the, the the key to time's purpose is to like give him a, like you know a reason to go these to these places. You know what I mean? It's like he's yeah, he's, he's being a bit more proactive.
0: Well, I think as well he didn't really he didn't really care for this kind of idea of him being this person of immense talent and knowledge, mm. kind of thickly knocking about
1: yeah he
0: wanted to like say again give him a purpose mm. so yeah I think that in that in that way, I mean a bit as well it's something that we'll talk to we'll talk about as we go on, but it's quite a light constraint, if you see what i mean mm. um although I mean especially in this episode, they do end up it is the the main thrust of the episode. You can watch the key to time stuff in isolation and it doesn't feel strange, mm you know, you don't necessarily sort of have to, like, I mean, maybe some seasons of shows, not necessarily just Doctor Who, but other things.
1: Yeah.
0: You kind of, you, you would sort of struggle to sit down and, you know, look through your DVD collection and say, oh, I fancy watching maybe this episode on its own and this episode on its own, because it kind of works best in context of having watched the whole season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But with these Key to Time episodes, you can quite happily sit and watch, you can take Pirate Planet off the shelf and watch it. mm mm-hmm. But it it doesn't feel like oh I wish I'd watch Reboss first because I'm not really yeah getting it. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that's kind of like that. This is uh, this is why I always say Key to Time is sort of testing the waters mm. of doing these sort of season-long arcs because yes, you know, the Doctor and Romano are on this quest to find the Key to Time segments, but it's not. It's the it's the main thrust, but it's at the same time it's not it's yeah, so yeah. it it's like we've landed on here to find this key to time oh here's this whole other thing we have to deal with first and then hey there is the segment to the key to time you know so that's so that's why it's sort of like it's both isolated but inclusive at the same time you yeah. know what i mean I mean, obviously
0: we've got the Doctor driving that because Romana does say at one point, look, let's go and get it. Yeah. And he's just like, no, nah, you know, we'll stick around. Whereas she's like, like, just get the bloody thing and boot it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Where he's like, now nah, we'll stick around and see how this shakes out. Mm. So, But I mean, a part of that is because obviously the thing that is the the uh, the MacGuffin of the episode is not the thing that Romana thinks it is, which is quite interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. It's like she immediately assumes it's the crown jewels. Yes, yeah,
0: it's just the most shiny thing.
1: Yeah. And it's not. It's the thing that Unstuff and Garen have brought with them. The thing that looks completely out of place with the rest of the Crown Jewels.
0: Mm. Um, so, I mean, the sort of the, the, the MacGuffins, can, the, the sort of the MacGuffin that we're after in this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't. I think that re, sort of knowing obviously where we're going with this, with re- Reboss, I think it might be the episode that is most central to the whole plot. Of mm. You know, we have these whole like bits of the Doctor and Romana aren't in quite a lot of the beginning of the episodes. No. Yeah. There's this whole big sequence where just like Graf and that and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you presume that Romana and the Doctor are kind of sitting in a hall somewhere.
1: Yeah.
0: Waiting to go and do, you know, waiting for the next move, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's, it's still quite about the key to time in yeah. this one. But it kind of... It blends more subtly as we go go ahead, I think. So yeah, it's something to keep an eye on and as we go through these is to see how much actually going for the key piece is the central conceit of the episode, or if it's just like, oh, we're here, and the adventure happens, and look, we have the thing at the end. So mm. it's interesting to see how it works out with that, and sort of the way that the writers sort of find to... You know, sort of keep the conceit going, mm-hmm. but not make it too. the all be all an end all as we go along.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So unfortunately, I mean, because unfortunately, with the, with Reboss, because it's kind of such a a story which is kind of not Doctor Whoey in inverted commas in the way that we sort of expect it to be with like monsters and running around and shooting and lasers and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's kind of difficult to talk about
1: a little bit really yeah i can't um <laughs> i can't disagree but but you know this this is like one of those ones i generally i would hard on hard recommend people see because yeah. it's very well done you know yeah, it's, it's, a not... great,
0: it's, it's a great adventure story but yeah. not in the way that you normally expect the sort of the tropey mm-hmm.
1: doctor who way yeah i mean we, we kind of like we're kind of like making it sound like there's not much to it but mm-hmm. there is. There's lots of like great character beats and it looks great. And honestly, it doesn't. It honestly doesn't drag. It's not one of these four parties where it's sort of like, you sort of think, well, come on. Let's, yeah, yeah let's, let's get on with it. with it. Yeah, let's
0: pick it up a little bit. But it doesn't drag at all. No. Um, yeah, I was about to say that. I mean, because um, in the documentary stuff afterwards, um, there were sort of people saying that if there's people who would just watch... Um, new series Doctor Who they would be shocked at how slow this is Mm. but I don't know if it's just because obviously we've watched a lot of classic who in our time and stuff but it doesn't strike me that way at all
1: yeah well I think it's just because these days you know Doctor Who often has to like cram a whole story into 45 minutes whereas here it's one story over like four twenty-five 25 minutes so you Mm. can be a bit more leisurely with it or you can like pick up the pace as much as you want but at the same time, you've got you've got to like try and temper it a little bit, because if you try and do things too quickly, then you find you've got like this like huge gap of you know times you've got to fill in. I mean, I think a lot of the times like these multi-part Doctor Who stories end up overrunning their uh, mm. the time slots when they're trying like, time for like like script editing and things like that. So stuff actually gets cut out a lot more. So it's kind of it's it's strange actually when you sort of think about it.
0: Yeah, I mean actually in a way having this sort of this sort of four parter to to do this story it kind of it kind of works in this story's advantage because you get a whole basically a whole episode of the setup of the scam, mm. which massive, which really advantages it. Yeah, because it, the, you know the the story is not hiding anything from you. It's sort of like you know you and us or you know audience and us we're in on this and now we ha- we we're sort of. It's one of those nice stories where, as the audience, we're kind of one step ahead of, you know, the the main guys. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing where this is going. So we get, to, a bit like an episode of Columbo, we get to watch yeah. how it is backwards unpicked with knowing how it's going to end, essentially. Yeah. And having for these sort of 425 minutes means they've got time to actually, you know, construct this scam and uh, everyone understands what's happening.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like... Like say, um, if this was set in the new series, you'd be like straight into it. You wouldn't have any like the setup. You wouldn't see like unstuff like planting the Jethric or yeah you know, anything like that. You'd sort of like it would be the Doctor of Mars like land right in the middle of this whole mess, you know. Yes, just I think, probably it would it, like, be just a bit before... like the
0: Carabraxos episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, um, anything else to say about a reboss
1: operation? um do you know what I, I kind of i don't think so i think it's 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 one of those ones like we, we've said all we need to say about it but yeah it, it, it doesn't feel like i don't feel like we've sold it short or anything i think it's a one like i say it's one of those ones i'd actually encourage people to like go and check out yeah really i think it's
0: unfortunately because it's like no big flashy monsters mm-hmm. you know no sort of it's got a companion, which I think because it, I think we'll talk about this when we do our summing up. But because she's kind of restricted, well, this version of her is kind of restricted to this series.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's kind of a bit forgotten about. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I say you know, not like a big flashy space lasers and ships episode, mm. but it's it's really it's actually good, and I think deserves a lot more consideration than it gets. Mm,
1: exactly. So, if you have any thoughts about the Reboss operation, you can send us your thoughts, and uh, by doing so, by emailing us at at com. We also have our Facebook page, facebook.com slash and we have our Twitter account, at Uh While you're at Simply Syndicated, do try out all the other good shows. Um, we do have a merch store, so you can buy things and purchase things for your clothing needs. Mm-hmm. um we also have a patreon where you can uh, back us we also have simply everything uh which for six pounds a month you can subscribe to simply everything the simply Syndicate has ever produced including some exclusive content uh such as shaking not stirred and um the two remote patrol spin-offs um but if you're also just being like a generous mm-hmm. soul, we do have a paypal and you can send money that way we do require help and that would be greatly appreciated absolutely so with that being said thank you very much emma Thank you, Mike. And she'll talk to you next time.